You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Right. If you have a Bible with you, if you'll make your way to the letter of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad you're here. And what we do is, what we've been doing for months now, is making our way through this book of the Bible, the letter of Galatians. And today we are in chapter 5. We're going to be looking at a moment in verses 7 through 12. Today's sermon is the second half of a two-part series. Think of verses 2 through 6, which we looked at last week as part 1, and verses 7 through 12, which is today's text, as part 2. Last week was part 1, this week was part 2. Now let me take just a moment to review the message from last Sunday, because if this is part 2, we need to be reminded what is it that we saw last week and how does last week and this week connect? Well, last week in verses 2 through 6, this is what we saw. The Apostle Paul called on these readers who he has written to in the region of Galatia to make a choice. He has done a lot in this letter. He has explained things. He has defended his ministry. He's defended the gospel. But at this point, it's almost like he looks them in the eye, puts his finger in their chest and says, okay, it's, it's, it's time to make a decision. We've talked enough, you've heard enough, now you must choose. And here's what they had to choose between. They had to choose between Christ or circumcision. Between grace or law-keeping. You see, if if you recall, the reason this letter was written to this church or group of churches in Galatia was that they had experienced something that was in need of serious Attention. See, the problem in the church in Galatia had to do with the fact that these were professing people or professing believers in Christ. As far as we can tell, those in Galatia have not renounced their faith in Christ, but simultaneously, though they profess faith in Jesus, they are beginning to believe another gospel that's been delivered to them by false teachers. As we looked at and we talked about several weeks ago, this is a nominally. It leaves you scratching your head. They're not giving up the gospel that Jesus saves by dying on a cross. But now they're adding to that. Yes, we believe that, but we also believe you have to keep the Mosaic law. After spending considerable time defending his gospel ministry and articulating the gospel of grace, Paul, at this point in the letter, he transitions and he calls on his readers, as we saw last week, to avoid falling away from the grace that's found in Christ. You recall from last week, Paul says, listen, you're going to make a choice. You're either going to choose Christ or circumcision, grace or law keeping. And because you profess faith in Christ, if you choose law keeping, You have fallen away from grace. Makes it very clear what's at stake. Now this call to these professing believers 
in Galatia to avoid falling away from the grace does not imply that those who are united to Christ can ever lose their salvation. That's not what Paul's implying. We can read that and think, is that what Paul is saying? That those who genuinely belong to Christ, put their faith in Christ, repented of their sins, are united to Christ through the Spirit, that they can lose their salvation? The answer is no. Those who are united to Christ are safe and secure forever. But what we saw last week is just because we're safe and secure if we really belong to Christ, we must persevere in our faith until the end or else we were truly never saved. That's important that we make that distinction. That though we can never fall away from grace, if someone falls away from grace, it's not that they lost their salvation. It's it's a clear indication they never had it to begin with. Even though they may have shown signs, shown fruit, in the end, they must, we must, hold on to our faith till the end. And what we saw in the text last week was that the only way we can persevere in our faith until the end Well, that's completely dependent on God's preservation of us. We must persevere, but we can only do that because God preserves. Remember, that was our text last week. We had two points. We must persevere and God preserves. And last week, I referred to a section in our statement of faith under the heading sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. And I wanted to read it again because I think this is a helpful reminder. In our statement of faith, it says this believers must persevere in faith and obedience in order to be saved. Yet. This perseverance is also a gift of God in Christ who preserves his own and keeps them safe forever. So believers must persevere. But the reason we can do that is because God has given us this gift in Christ in which He keeps His own safe and secure forever. So that's what we talked about last week. Now that brings us to this week in part 2, verses 7 through 12. And what we discover this morning are the reasons that these professing believers in Christ were in danger of falling away from grace. This is going to serve us this morning because last week, We talked about the importance of persevering in faith and we saw how God preserves us in faith. But we still haven't gotten into this dynamic. How did these believers, are these people who are professing to be believers, how could they get to this place where Paul has to say to them, if you you continue down this path, you will have fallen away from grace. What is it that they did? What is it that they were tempted with? Because if we can see that, we can benefit and realize here's what we need to do to finish the race. The title of the message today is How to Finish the Race. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, is going to show us two ways how to finish this race. Let me read the passage, and I invite you to follow along as we read God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now this morning, in this passage, we see two things that help us know how to finish the race. Here they are. In verses 7-10, through we're told we must forsake what is false. And verses 11-12, through focus on Christ and the cross. Those are the two things that the Galatian believers were in danger of. How did they get to this place? They began to listen to things that were false. Of course, they didn't know it was false, but they, they began to buy into a little bit, a little bit, a little bit more. And one day they wake up and they're at this crossroads in which Paul says, hey, listen, you go any further, you're falling away from grace. So one of the things they did is they, they did not forsake what is false and they stopped putting their focus on Christ and the cross. And this, this passage is going to help us see what, is, what does it mean for us to do these things so that we can persevere through the help that God gives us in preserving us in faith? Let's begin by looking back at verse 7, the beginning of verse 7 of chapter 5. You were running well, Paul says to them. You were running well. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, Paul, not only here, but a number of times in other letters, he uses this metaphor of the Christian life being like a race that we must finish in order to receive the crown of life. He actually did that in chapter 2, verse 2. He spoke of the Christian life as a race. He does it in 1 Corinthians and other letters. And here, according to verse 7, the Galatians had begun the race. They began the race when they placed their faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. But at some point, some point they got tripped up and were in danger of being disqualified. How did this happen? What, what took place between the time that, that the Apostle Paul arrived in Galatia, preached the gospel, and many came to saving faith, said, yes, Jesus is Lord. He's our Lord. He died on a cross to save us from our sins. It's not because of law keeping that we're saved. How did they go from there to most likely only a year later? They're now saying, yeah, we still believe in Jesus, but we also believe in law keeping. Well, what happened? Well, the second half of verse seven tells us. You were running well. Who hindered you? From obeying the truth. The key word there is who. Apparently, someone or some people had cut off these Christians. If this is a race, they, they've been cut off and, and they've been caused to stumble. They've stumbled because others have, if we're using this analogy as they're running, have ran in front of them and have made them fall. So how did they get to this place? Someone has caused them to stumble. And how did they do this? By causing them to forsake the truth of the gospel. Do you remember how this letter began? Chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. When Paul 
gets into the heart of why he's writing them. He began this way, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different Gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the Gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a Gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, Son, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Do you remember this illustration that I used not only last week, but we've come back to a number of times throughout this study of Galatians, that the Christian life, if we could use a, 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 the illustration of a road, it's like this road and we have to make it to the end in order to receive the crown of life. And early on in the letter, we talked about on this road, there are, there's a ditch on both sides. And we're in danger of falling into the ditch of legalism, believing that God's commands, that if we keep them, they merit favor with God. That's one ditch, legalism. The other is license, believing as long as I believe in Jesus, His commands mean nothing. I don't have to follow Him. I can just do whatever, live however. So there's legalism on one side, license on the other. And then last week, we added to this picture, we said along this road are huge yellow warning signs telling us, be aware, be careful, watch out. And those are a gift from the Lord. Those warning signs are meant to protect us and preserve us. Now I want to add to this picture. As we're on this road, we don't run it alone. There are others on this road. And most of them are running beside us the same race, encouraging us, saying, yes, yes, do you see the finish line? But there are others on this road who at times are tempting us to say, this isn't the only way to run. Is this really worth running? And that's really what was happening here in Galatia. How did these Christians begin the race well and all of a sudden they're at this place where they're, they're, they're about to give up and be disqualified from the race. There are others on the race with them, on the road with them that they don't realize are not serving them. They think they're telling them, hey, listen, this isn't, we don't have to go the long way. Let's go the shortcut. Or this isn't the best way. Or let's just give in. Or let's give up. And they've been tempted by those voices. Look at how Paul describes it in verse 8. He said, this persuasion is not from Him who calls you. He says, this persuasion, this, this feeling that you have, this, this pressure that you've been given, that word persuasion is the same word in the, in the Greek as the word obeying in verse 7. It's as if Paul was saying, He who, who has kept you well, who has kept you from doing what you know you ought to do? That's, that's what he's saying. You, you know what you ought to do. You, you ought to obey these truths. But someone has come along and has started to make you wonder and question, should you go this route? And Paul says, here's the problem with this persuasion, this pressure that you feel. That you have to choose between circumcision and law-keeping. He says this pressure, this persuasion, this demand is not coming from the One who called you by His grace. 
In other words, the voice of the one who called them by his grace. Notice this is being replaced by other people claiming to speak for God. See, the, the, the Galatians felt this pressure. Why are they tempted to, to do the things they're doing? They've heard Paul. Now they're moving away from that. How did they get here? What occurred that they would be at this place? Someone else on the, in the race has been telling them, this is what God has told you you must do. And they've been listening to that voice, thinking that that voice was actually right. When, in, it, when If anything, that voice is not speaking on God's behalf. It's opposite of what God is saying. So Paul then inserts this line in verse 9 that at first can leave us thinking, okay, Paul, Paul why insert this statement here? He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Why, why does he... Insert that statement here. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Or to put it differently, a little yeast affects the entire batch of dough. Well, Paul's referring back to not only the Old Testament where that example is used to the children of Israel, but he's also referring back to Jesus' own words in Matthew 16, verses 11 through 12, where Jesus uses the language of the Old Testament and he says to his disciples, be aware of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and their teaching because their teaching is like this yeast. It ruins the whole lump. Be careful. Be aware. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-8, through 8, Paul uses this example again. Why is he doing that? Well, if the folks in Galatia were tempted to think this sort of teaching about law-keeping was inconsequential. Paul warns them, listen, if you think this is not a big deal, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Going back to last week, we can think, Paul, why are you getting so worked up about this topic of circumcision? Isn't it something God prescribed in the Old Testament? Is it something forbidden altogether? Weren't you circumcised? Didn't you get Timothy circumcised after you became a believer? I mean, why, why are you making such a big deal out of this? This seems like a minor thing you're making into a major thing. Paul inserts here, because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The point being made here is simple. A little bit of falsehood can cause people to fall away. A little bit of falsehood can cause people to fall away. See, the issue is not about circumcision. The issue is what that circumcision that's being taught by these false teachers implies. And the Galatians don't see it. If you buy into that, you, you are buying into another gospel. It's not the gospel. Not only you receive from me, but that is from the one who called you. So be aware, a little bit of falsehood can cause people to fall away. But notice what Paul does next in verse 10. Beginning of verse 10, he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. Don't miss the faith-filled perspective exhibited here by Paul. This is amazing. Paul earlier 
in, in, in verses 2 through 6, looks them in the eye, warns them genuinely. He's not playing around. He, he is as serious as he can be and saying, listen, you keep down this road, you're going to fall away from grace. But notice what he does now. With faith in his heart, he expresses his confidence in the Lord that the Galatians will respond to his appeal and they will return to the gospel of grace. But notice this. His confidence is not in them. He doesn't say, I'm confident because, man, I know you guys are super smart. You, y'all have all been, you know, you grew up in church. You've all, you all go to Bible studies. You, you know all these things. I'm confident that at some point you'll open up your eyes, you'll get it. Notice his confidence isn't in himself. He doesn't say, I know after you read this letter, that I will have convinced you. Because after all, I am the Apostle Paul. I'm going to write 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. I mean, if I can't convince you, nobody can. He doesn't put his confidence in them. He doesn't put his confidence in himself. He puts his confidence in the Lord. What does that show us? That perseverance was possible because of the gift of preservation. Going back to last week. Paul says, I know That as you hear this warning, you're going to heed it. Why? Because God is going to use my words and my warning and these illustrations and these appeals to grab a hold of your heart, to pull the blinders off your eyes, and you are going to hear and you're going to respond. But notice what else Paul has confidence in in the second half of verse 10. That the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. In the same way that Paul was confident in the Lord for the Galatian believers, that they will respond, he is equally as confident that God will bring judgment on the one who is causing these people to stumble. Now why does it say the one? That's singular. Does that mean there's only one person in Galatia calling, causing all of this trouble? Possibly, but most likely, even if there are many, there's probably a leader. There's probably that one person who's the spokesperson, who has the strongest ability to communicate and, and persuade. And Paul says, as much as I'm confident you're going to hear me and respond, I'm confident that the Lord is going to bring judgment on anyone, as we remember the words of Jesus, anyone who calls one of my little ones to stumble. God is going to bring judgment. Now if we stop right here and we push the pause button, what do we take away from this so far? What can we benefit? As we look at the the Galatians, our story isn't exactly the same as theirs. Our context isn't the same. Our culture isn't the same. There are many things about this letter that are not identical with where we are today. But so many of the things about this letter, we can see our faces in the mirror. And we are to benefit from from this, this letter and learn from it. So what can we take away so far Here's the first thing. Believing what is false is the catalyst for falling away. How did these folks in Galatia who heard the Apostle Paul profess faith in Jesus get to the point where Paul's having to say, you go one more step and you're done. 
You have fallen away from grace. How did they get there? Believing what is false is the catalyst for falling away. Therefore, we must forsake what is false. Church, listen. When we start to doubt God's word. When we start to doubt the gospel. The gospel of grace. When we lose our confidence in the Lord's ability to save and to change us. We are in a critical place we must not stay in. Does that describe you this morning? Are you doubting God's word? Are there other voices that are causing you to start saying, I don't really really know this is accurate. There's a lot of other holy books. Maybe you're not questioning God's word, but you're starting to question the gospel. Is it really the power of God to save? How do I know that if I spend the rest of my life believing these truths, singing these songs, that I'm really going to go to heaven? I haven't just wasted my time and my Sunday mornings. Have you lost your confidence in the Lord's ability to save and to change? If that's you this morning, can I encourage you? That's not a place to stay in. We may all find ourselves tempted or even there. But we cannot remain there. Because when we get there, we're in danger. We're in danger. Listen, church, our flesh needs no assistance when it comes to believing lies about God. To make matters worse, we have an enemy that wants us to doubt what God has said to us. We don't need any help with our unbelief, with our doubts. But on top of our own difficulties, getting our mind and our hearts around the gospel, we have an enemy who wants us to not believe a word God has said. And that's what happened in the Garden of Eden That's how the story began. The enemy says, did God really say? That's not new. It's what's still happening today. Should we really trust what God has said? See, there is an enemy who wants to destroy God's people. Can we go back to that image Of the race and the road. On that road. Not only are there two ditches. And there's warning signs. And there's other people running alongside of you. But if you're on that road. The enemy of your soul will attack you. Is there a place in your theology for an enemy. Who says I hate everyone on that road. And I'm going to knock some into this ditch. And I'm going to knock some into this ditch. Are you aware that by believing in Jesus. You are going to be attacked. You are going to experience opposition. Opposition that will get you to be tempted to fall away. Here's the question. How does the enemy of our soul cause us to fall away? How can he pull this off? 
Well, there are many ways in which the enemy works. I just want to draw attention to one that I think is relevant in our study of Galatians. And it's this. He spreads falsehood through false teachers. We're to forsake falsehood. And that's one of the things the enemy does to attack us is to bring lies upon us. How does he, how does he promote falsehood? Through false teachers. Listen to this. I want to give you two passages from Paul. They're insightful. And maybe, hopefully, this will give us a degree of discernment because our idea of what false teaching may look like, hopefully these passages will help us broaden and be more discerning and careful. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-3. through Listen to this. Does this not sound exactly like the story of Galatians? Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. There's an enemy who's going to cause people to fall away. How's he going to do that? Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Does that not sound like Galatians? Paul says, in the end, there are going to be people who are going to fall away because the enemy of their soul is going to cause them to believe lies. How? Through false teachers. And you say, okay, so what do these false teachers look like? They're, they're going to they're deny the resurrection. They're, they're going to deny the, the virgin birth. They're going to do all of these things. No. They forbid marriage and say, there's certain foods you shouldn't eat. Now, we, we could quibble over, is that, is that really what the Bible says? But who would call that false teaching? And so I don't really agree with that application. Paul says, then you need to have your eyes open. False teaching doesn't always come. It's kind of like when we teach our kids, be aware of stranger danger. What is the stranger we want them to be aware of? The big bad guy that looks... Well, if that's all we tell them, they're going to miss moments of vulnerability. And often we think false teaching looks like that guy. Here, Paul says, these people are going to come just like with the Galatians and say, Paul, we're not saying don't believe in Jesus. Just keep the law. Isn't that what the Bible says? Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, we hear how this false teaching can often come about. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul warns them in verse 4. Similar to Galatians, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Does that not sound like Galatians? They're believing this false gospel. How did it happen? You keep reading through the rest of the verse, chapter 11. These 
apostles had come in and were saying things opposite of the Apostle Paul. And they're believing these guys. And listen to how the Apostle Paul speaks of them later on in chapter 11, verses 13 through 14. For such men, the kind that they're believing in, are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Listen, false teachers in any form must be rejected, not given a hearing. People start saying things that are opposite of what God has said. We shouldn't say, well, that person says some bad things. But oh, man, they, they, they said some really good things. You know what? There was a time in my life I was really struggling and God used this person in my life. Listen, I, great that God used them in your life. God could speak through a donkey and he did in the Old Testament. But what we must be careful of is because we have some emotional attachment. God used them. Therefore, I'm going to overlook the things I know are wrong. Listen, a little leaven ruins the whole lump. we got to be careful and discerning. But can I offer a word of caution? The amount of information and technology that is available today is a real blessing to billions of people, including me. I'm so grateful for the access we have to all the things that are available to us because of the internet. There's a danger. All this access to so many competing voices can make us more susceptible to believing what is false. Can I encourage you? I can just share my heart with you for a moment. Can I encourage you to remember one of the calls on a pastor, which is just another word for a shepherd, The call of a pastor is many things, but one is to guard the flock. And one of the things that's hard with the Internet today. Is me and Bob and Jack. Sometimes unbeknownst to people are one of many voices because we're listening to all these people on YouTube and we're reading all these other books from the Christian bookstore. And it may be good and it may be helpful. Listen, there's people I listen to on YouTube. Listen, there's wonderful books I, I, I read that aren't related to sovereign grace in our family of churches, but we must be careful. We must be discerning. And I want you to know your pastors want to guard you. So it, this morning, going back to that question I asked you earlier, if you, if you are struggling with doubts of any kind, we would love to sit down with you and to talk with you, to pray with you, to open up the Bible with you. Because can I tell you something that has grieved my heart over the years? And I know many pastors have experienced the same. When people come and finally tell us, I don't believe what the Bible says. It's been after years of coming, of of watching someone on YouTube, never getting us involved and then saying, hey, I I don't believe what the church believes anymore because other people are saying something different. It's just like, well, where were we in this process? We'd have loved to have sat down, opened up the Bible. 
young people, teenagers, you, you are being assaulted by the lives of this world. I can understand how at every turn you could be tempted to doubt. Your pastors want to serve you. If you ever want to meet with us so we can answer questions, it would be a joy to do that. Please don't think we're just your parents' pastor. We're your pastor. We would love to answer any questions we can to serve you. Now that brings us to this final part. The second thing that Paul tells them. Focus on Christ and the cross. Verses 11 through 12. Listen to what Paul says here in these verses. Verse 11 again. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now, why Paul was being accused of preaching a message of circumcision is really unclear. But it's interesting. It makes you wonder what the false teachers were up to. It's almost like at some point they stop arguing that they disagree with Paul, and maybe at some point they say, well, yeah, but Paul used to preach this. And Paul's having to defend his ministry yet again and say, I have never since coming to faith in Christ preached that keeping the law is a, is a means of being justified before God. I have never done that. And he, just, and he shows you why he's never done that. He makes his case by comparing the message of circumcision with the cross. He's basically saying, if, if what you're saying is true, that I, that I preach messages about circumcision and, and, and the role that it plays in the life of a Christian, then why am I still being persecuted? It's basically, he's saying to those who are saying that to him, have you been persecuted recently for your faith? No? Oh, so I'm the one being persecuted. So if I'm preaching the same thing you're saying you're preaching, then why am I in my place and you're in your place? Because you haven't been persecuted for teaching what you're teaching. I've been persecuted. And why have, have I been persecuted? Because to preach the kind of message that I am, there's an offense to it. The offense of the cross. Church, are you aware that, that the very gospel, the good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ, are you aware that that gospel that saves is offensive? It's offensive. Why is it offensive? I love how Tom Schreiner, commentator, says it in his commentary. He says, the fundamental root of all persecution is resistance to the gospel. The world despises the cross, for the cross pronounces a thunderous no to all human goodness. The cross lays us bare before God and exposes our wickedness and evil. The cross reminds us that the solution to the human problem is death and resurrection. While we as human beings think we can be reformed and transformed with education in civilizing influences. When the message of the cross breaks upon the human consciousness, we either repent or we are enraged at such an affront to our egos. We long for the gospel that commends us, makes us feel good about ourselves, and exalts us. The cross, however, renounces human potential. It teaches us to relinquish our hope that human beings can construct a just and good 
society. The message of the cross is offensive to many. So expect persecution at times for believing and proclaiming the message of the gospel. That brings us then to verse 12. Read it again. Paul ends in a very frank way, using strong language, full of sarcasm. It's quite crude and potentially offensive, but there's a reason he says what he says. He says, I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. He says, whoa, Paul. Maybe you should take a breather. This is one of those places where Paul, you can just tell by the language, Paul is genuinely, genuinely concerned. So why does he end this way? I love what Matthew Harmon, another commentator, on Galatians said, he says, Paul's words may be shocking to us in an age that promotes tolerance as the highest virtue. But when matters of eternity are at stake, Paul was not afraid to use cutting language to drive home the severity of his opponent's error. Pun intended. <laughs> Paul was not afraid to use cutting language when eternity was at stake. Paul isn't simply being nitpicky here. Paul isn't getting his, his doctrinal issues out of order. Paul says, I'm so sick and tired of this issue, I just wish it would be done. Because what's at stake is so serious. And when we read verses 11 through 12 together, we discover how Paul had zero tolerance towards any message that distracted from or distorted the message of the cross. Church, listen, as we close this morning, hear this. What Christ accomplished on the cross is at the center of saving faith. It's at the heart of the gospel. What Christ did on the cross is at the center of saving faith. Listen, that's not just true when we first become saved. It's true for everyone who desires to finish the race. See, the danger for the Galatians is the same temptation for us. We all know if we're going to be saved, we've got to put our faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross in order to get saved. But we are tempted, just like the Galatians, to say, okay, the cross is the front door, now I'm moving on. Moving on to obedience and law keeping and bigger and better things. And Paul says, listen, the cross isn't just what gets you saved. The cross is for all those who desire to finish the race. You must keep looking. You must not lose sight of the Savior. Think about what we've talked about this morning here in Galatians 5, 7 through 12, in light of these words in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. These words may be familiar to you, but listen to them now with maybe a different, a different sound, a different emphasis. See, the book of Hebrews, much like Galatians, was being written to people who were falling away. As far as we can tell, they're not 
continuing to profess faith in Christ and falling away. They are now losing their profession of, of, of faith, renouncing it, and going back to Judaism. And listen to what the writer of Hebrews tells them. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and listen to this, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, to finish the race of faith, we must focus our attention on the one who's not only run the race, but who has won the race. If I could add one more character to this story, as we run, not only are there ditches and warning signs and people running alongside of us, and some of them the, the enemy is using to cause us to, to fall away, but at all points in the race, we can see the Savior standing at the finish line saying, I've already finished the race on your behalf. All you got to do is keep running. All you have to do is keep running. So how do we apply this today? How do we take what we just heard in Galatians and what we're now hearing here in Hebrews 12. And fix our eyes on Christ and the cross. Here's how. Our love for Christ must motivate our faith. Is your faith primarily intellectual? Is your faith primarily doctrinal? I wonder how many of us would say, Josh, I'm not struggling with doubts of anything. I'm, I'm very convinced. And the more I study, the more I realize this is God's word. Everything he said is true. I believe Christianity is, is the true one religion. I, I, I see the superiority of it, the authenticity of it, the, the accuracy of it. I see all of those things. Listen, if that's all you have, you're in danger of falling away. Because here's what's going to motivate your faith. It's not just answers. It's a love for the one who stands at the end of the race. And when you're running, you're saying, you did that for me. You endured the shame. You endured the punishment. You finished the race for me. What a Savior. If you don't have a love for the Savior, if you've lost your love for the Savior, if you don't have affection for Christ, though you may not be doubting the truth claims of Christianity, be aware you're in danger of falling away. Because you will not finish the race simply because you have answers. You will finish the race because you love the one whom you can't wait to fall into his arms on the other side of the finish line. We must, we must be a people who continue to look to Christ and to love the Savior who made it possible 
for us to finish the race. That's why we sing the songs we do every Sunday. We celebrate these glorious truths together. And we're going to do it again now as we close. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord, help us all to take what we've heard and to not just process it with them, with our minds, but Lord, by the power of the Spirit, would you take what we've heard and would you, would you transform us? Would you open our eyes to things maybe we haven't seen before? Would you use this message for those that are, that are in danger of false teaching to guard them? Or for those who are doubting, Lord, may this be your shepherd's staff that pulls them back. For those who've lost their first love and their affection. Oh Lord, would you use this message today to remind them that their faith isn't simply intellectual and doctrinal. And Lord, would you make us a church that continues to focus on, all, on the thing that matters most, Christ and Him crucified. Help us to be a church that never gets distracted, never gets derailed by lesser things. May we never lose our amazement or our excitement about what you've done for us in Christ. May we be a people who stand amazed that Jesus obeyed in our place, died in our place, and is now interceding on our behalf. Lord, we ask that if there's anyone here this morning that has never put their faith in Christ and repented of their sin and received your saving grace, Lord, may you right now, by the power of the Spirit, bring them to a place not only of conviction, but of a longing and a realization of what you've done and what you Give them freely in Jesus Christ. And may they respond this very day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the sweet reminder of how to finish the race. We pray all these things in your name for your glory. Amen.